box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Michael Edgley and Derek Dyson for our podcast where we go through our highlights of the past week, our teams and moments of the week and plenty more. Now, Derek and Edge, we've, we covered a lot in the main show during the week and usually there are nuggets, little Easter eggs in the main show of what we're going to get to during stoppage time. But inevitably, there's also a story there uh, that doesn't get covered not only in the main show, but in, in other football. And I think you've both got a couple of those sort of dotted through your uh, agendas this week. My game of the week is the quarterfinal of the Australia Cup out at Summer Street, uh, Melbourne Knights and Heidelberg United. Obviously, uh, listeners of this program will know that I'm a, a former burger, so I was watching with great interest. And um, the Burgers got away to a 2 0 lead. Adrian Zara and Kane Shepherd, two of their Absolute veterans, uh, Adrian Zara, one of, uh, almost a games record holder, and Kane Shepherd, who's been an incredible uh, striker over many years for the club in between going to Newcastle and the A-League, A-League competition. Uh, they got 2-0 up, and I thought, here we go. Uh, Melbourne Knights got one back before half time, and then they were relatively comfortable defending for most of the game, and then all hell broke loose, absolutely all hell broke loose and goals to uh, Gian Al- Albano and uh, Lars Anton Canada um, in the 98 minute Mitch Hoare and uh, it was just all happening for Melbourne Knights. They got over the line 3-2 and it was probably um, the send-off to the Heidelberg midfielder who probably uh, will hang his head in shame because the Burgers missed an opportunity to go through to the semi-finals. But Melbourne Knights, and great to see a good crowd, former NSL fans out in force, a lot of old scarves from the good old days. And um, it was an old-fashioned NSL Aussie Cup uh, fixture. And uh, well done to Melbourne Knights. And uh, all of my Melbourne Knights friends and colleagues, which there are many, and a few lunatic supporters, uh, enjoy your semi-final. Please behave yourselves. What would you have eaten if you were there, Edge? Uh, if I was there, I would have had at least two, probably three, shavapi because out at Melbourne Knights, they have the uh, the pickled cabbage and a little sprinkling of chilli on a very fresh, warm, baked uh, kibata roll. And it is uh, really good. And uh, you swig, and then you sort of... Um, uh, they've got a Croatian beer out there as well, so you sort of have one of those and a couple of the... A little bit different than, than three, four and 20s at the uh, MCG like we did 25 years ago? Yeah, a little bit different to that. Or the uh, couple of souvlakia down at uh, at, um, at the Olympic Village. <laughs> exactly. Well, a, a slightly different um, uh, cuisine, I guess, would be on offer at the San Siro. Where are you going to take us, Derek? Yeah, we, we did mention this game in the main show, and that was... Inter Milan continuing what is now a perfect start to the season, an absolute mauling of of their local rivals, AC Milan at San Siro. Um, Henrik Mkhitaryan, a player who known to Premier League audiences, to Edge and I in particular, as a former Arsenal uh, player, he hit two. Uh, he had one within the first five minutes. Um, Marcus Turam scored the goal of the game. An amazing. A spectacular strike from long range. He looks like a, a real player. I'm assuming he's the son of Lillian Chiram, uh, um, cutting his teeth in the, in the league. Uh, 
AC Milan did pull a goal back through their star player, Rafael Leal. But it was again um, Mkhitaryan, uh, Kaloglu and Fratesi, uh, who's had a, an amazing week. He scored the two goals for uh, the Azuri as they uh, beat uh, Ukraine. And he, he put the game uh, to rest there as well. 5-1 five, uh, five, in the end. What a, what a result for, for, for Inter. So that's 12 out of 12. Milan sit and not a disastrous place. They're third with, with nine points, having tasted defeat for the first time. Juventus are in second with 10 points uh, unbeaten. They beat Lazio um, 3-1. Um, so great stuff for, for Inter and Milan now will have to pick themselves up because they have uh, got Newcastle United uh, in town um, and they will be hoping for a much better performance uh, over the Magpies there. But uh, Inter looking in red-hot form, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. It was a ripping one. And uh, I know my uh, my in-laws over there in Treviso in the north of Italy, I remember back in 1991, I think I've mentioned it from time to time, when uh, they won the UEFA Cup, they went absolutely bunto driving around the uh, the town uh, square and the uh, the Duomo uh, with their inter-flags, um, yeah, it was uh, was manic. So the, the, the rivalry between those two clubs is as big as anywhere in the world. Just for some of my international colleagues who listen to the program, can you please give a definition of bunta? Bunta is, uh, I think it just means going crazy, going off, doesn't it? I I, I would have to double check. There's probably some urban dictionary description of what bunta means, but um, I think it's just some made-up Australian word that people just throw in when they can't think of a better one to describe that the joint just went. It's only made-up Australian words in our vernacular. Not all suitable for mention on a family show. All right, I'm gonna, uh, Derek. Um, you can take your headphones off now, Michael. You can just press uh, mute for a moment because I know you both did um, suggest that you wanted to, and I'm seeing Derek metaphorically do that right now. But uh, my game of the week, well, somebody had to throw this one in there because it's Spurs two-one win over Sheffield United for so many reasons. Now I- I'm going to try to list them. So it comes at the end of a week in which Ange Postecoglou was named the league's manager of the month in his first month, no less, and shortlisted for the title of FIFA's best men's coach of the year. He was a veteran Premier League journo, Ian Shaband wrote, um, and this was on the Keep Up website. It was a 2-1 victory to pipe the icing on the cake on Saturday. At least that's how the Australian must look at Spurs long time, look to Spurs long time suffering fans who have seen their new saviour's unbeaten start to life in the Premier League, now gilded by the latest of late comebacks at home to Sheffield United that turned a probable first defeat into a fourth straight win. Now, along with the win for Spurs, which secures them in the top four, and Frank's Postacoglu's appointment, if it needed any more assurance, it relegates their former star to the status of Harry who, and in a traumatic week for the one big name who hadn't fired under the regime, Richarlison, who we talked about in the main show, who had made headlines in the week with his revelation that while on international duty, he was in tears on the bench. He said he would seek psychological help for off-field issues and was bought off the bench in the 80th minute and headed Spurs level after the first eight minutes of stoppage time had been added on. And I really enjoyed what Postacoglu said after the match. And uh, I think that's one of the things that the, the fans do love about him is he's a way of, of describing football and life as intertwined, but that for Rashalison, as tough as things might be for him in other parts of the world, that football is still a happy space for him and he's still a good football player and that he backed him and trusted him and that he came through. So I, I reckon that if we're going to see a relationship grow between those two, that we saw its birth at um, uh, 
during that game, um, and uh, it was quite incredible. So now next week, um, I haven't checked the fixture yet, guys, but um, do you know who they're playing? Uh, Edge, Derek? Oh, it's been a, Down the, the official Australian vernacular for Rob's demeanour there is smart-ass. Yes, he'll be positively revered if he can oversee the defeat of the Gunners this coming week. Well, it's Would going you... to build up to this game. It's going to be absolutely massive. And there was a bit of a mm. contrast, wasn't there? Because how many minutes of extra time did Tottenham get? They got 12, I think. 12. Ange time. Yeah, Ange time. And um, they obviously got the two goals to get the win. And and Sean Dyche at Everton, I mean, because there was a bit of shithousery going on between Arsenal. They got a goal up. And when they put up the board and uh, Everton only got four minutes of extra time, <laughs> Dyche on the sideline, he just looked at the fourth official. He just shook, he just, he shook his head. He took a big swig of his... 17th bottle of water that he drinks and he just I, I, I knew he was thinking about god Tottenham had 13 minutes last yesterday and I get four minutes today I mean fair income I don't know if you saw that Terry but I had a good, I had a good giggle at that got, got got three points to make on that so first one I if, if Everson had had 100 minutes of stoppage time I don't think they would have scored a goal so I'm not quite sure what um Sean Dyche was was looking too crestfallen about there um, second point is, is it possible that Rob could pick Tottenham as his game of the week every single week to now Absolutely. the end of the season? If he does, then there's a big problem. Um, and thirdly, yeah, I was watching the very, very short highlights of the Spurs game lying in bed on Sunday morning. I didn't know the score. Sheffield United obviously scored with about, I can't remember how many, was it 20 minutes or something to go. I got really excited until I realised that we were only about one minute and 20 seconds into this four minute video so <laughs> i went oh that's not good <laughs> um yes ended up being, i think i know what's going to happen here and it's not another two sheffield united goals and then and lo and behold the uh, two goals go in um quite quite enjoying not having our favorite commentator on these optus highlights anymore Rob, mm. just to finish that off because obviously he's off now at uh, peter joy is off now at sky which means he doesn't do the world feed which mm. means we don't have to listen to him anymore. How good's that? It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I did notice it, and 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 I'm sure there are listeners who who did notice Edge try to take my game of the week off into an Arsenal tangent, and I respect it, Eric, the fact that you brought it back to where it was meant to be. And yes, I'm happy not to listen to Peter Drury. Um, if I ever I'm to, I'm just about to actually take it back there because I'm <laughs> in Bangkok and I've got the uh, feed coming out of. Uh, mm-hmm. through some uh, very clever streaming. I've got the feed coming out of America and guess who was commentating <laughs> at Arsenal? Oh, no. Jury. Oh, I thought God. of you two blokes. Oh, I thought, oh, God, I've got to put up. Just yet, yeah, mate, you just put it on mute. That's it. The football's right there in front of you. All right. Now, um, we, we have to carry on. Um, so I did mention that there were a few little, uh, uh, well, let's say off-Broadway stories that we, we run in stoppage time. And Derek, um, you've got one of those uh, for your team of the week yeah i have actually i i'm going all the way to the fifth tier of uh welsh football and fairfield uh fc and the reason that they're my uh team of the week because you're the only one who can pronounce their name well we might get to that but um they have got new sponsors and their new sponsors are la liga uh (laughs) i've absolutely no idea why la liga is sponsoring a very very uncelebrated fifth tier um, a team possibly because I'm talking about it right now uh, could be the could be the cunning reason why. But apparently, this money uh, that's going to go uh, to Lanfoquil, um to 
uh, to their new shirts. Uh, he's going to be spent on all sorts of different things uh, at the club. They're going to be playing them when they're playing their um, Inter Island hosts, Hollywood, Hollyhead Town. They'll be uh, they'll be wearing these. And just a bit of geography, uh, Lanfair Hill uh, is on a North North Wales island called Anglesey. Hollyhead is actually where you get a. Uh, is that they've copied ferry. the name of the uh, the Victorian beachside town? Uh, possibly, yeah. But th- that that is where you get the ferry to uh, to Ireland, famously uh, the, the the cheap ferry to Ireland. But uh, yeah, Lanfair is also um, well known as a place because it is the longest place name in mm-hmm. the United Kingdom and one of the longest in the world. It has. 50 characters in the name and I I anticipated Rob that you probably would ask me to try and have a go at saying the full name so I will have Mm. a go at it. Um, So they are Lanferv Gwil, Gingwil, Gergwil, Egwin, Erlandi, Gogogoth. How's that? That, That's outstanding. I don't even think Willem could have pronounced it that well. Well done. I would love to have another go at it at some point. I did butcher the name there but it's uh, 58 58 characters. It means something like do you know what it stands for, Rob? I, I, I don't know, but all I know is that that if we've got any Welsh fans out there, they would have been the only ones who knew you butched it because, you know, none of us, we just thought you pronounced it correctly. So what does it stand for? Oh, it's something like the village on the hill next to the church by the lake. So it's just a very, very, very uh, literal name. Um, mm. So, yeah, look, we, 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 we cover a lot on this show. So I, I will give you, uh, once again, Landberg will... Uh, Will Gigaga Ikwe Gula Landi Siliagogogoch. FC. Yeah, well, they're just very good friends of the uh, Super Carola Fragilistic AFC Aladocious FC. Uh, now, beautiful little story there, La Liga. They've found one and um, and you've pronounced it beautifully, even if we don't know how to pronounce it just, ourselves. Just a lot of phlegm. You just need a lot of phlegm and you can pretty much pronounce anything in Welsh. Excellent. Edge Roberto De Zerbi, uh, that's easy to pronounce. Um, doing amazing things. Who would have thought that, I mean, Brighton and Hove Albion, when we started this show, they, were, they weren't uh, a joke, but we were giggling a little bit at, uh, at their expense when they were a championship side. Who would have thought now they'd become a staple and one of the best teams in the Premier League? Absolutely. Um, what's really interesting is that uh, Man United have only lost twice at home in the last 13 months and both times have been to Brighton and Hove Albion. So I put them in as my team of the week and they actually uh, I actually watched this game instead of the Tottenham game because I started to watch it and I couldn't turn away because they absolutely slaughtered them um, I've never ever heard Old Trafford as so quiet as it was Brighton for 85 minutes just completely dominated every facet of the game and I think um, um, goalkeeper Jason Steele's um, comments after the game really sum it up he said there's no secret open mindedness truthfulness in the dressing room, hard work, culture, spirit, and we've got a bloody good coach. So um, I think I think he, he put it well. And I just thought I'd, I'd throw a couple of statistics at you about their recruitment. They, um, you know, since the, the, the game that they won last time they were at Old Trafford, uh, United had spent £320 million on players. And Brighton had spent 140 million pounds uh, in that same period, um, and also Brighton had sold 220 million pounds worth of players um, 
Moises Casado to Chelsea for 115 million pounds, McAllister to Liverpool for 55 million pounds, Trossard to the Gunners for 27 million pounds, Sanchez to Chelsea for 25 million pounds. So this Brighton team, they do the business off the field and on the field. And um, if you haven't seen the highlights of this game, watch it because Manchester United, they were just completely beaten by a team. As you said, Rob, when we started doing this show, to, to, to think that Brighton would go up to Old Trafford, mm. dominate on the field for almost the entire game. Mm. You just would have said, you would have said, hang on. Yeah. And, and, and you would say that a certain D. Welbeck, who's had two outstanding careers at that very club that uh, um, that his, uh, his club Brighton beat, um, and of course your mob, um, is uh, in imperious form and, and, and playing, um, you know, as a 32 year old player. Uh, uh, Top shelf Premier League football um, in a club and just looking happy about it uh, is great. So yeah, Roberto De Serbi, these Italian managers—they're generally the flavour of the month. Um, now, uh, an Italian manager, or at least one of Italian extraction, is uh, the bloke who heads up my team of the week. Now, uh, his uh, name is Ross Aloisi, um, older brother of a certain John Aloisi, who we all know. Uh, so the era of Ross is well and truly in full swing in Brisbane. They booked their place in the Australia. Cup semi-finals. We talked about it earlier in the week with a convincing 4-2 victory over the Western Sydney Wanderers at what was nearly a sold-out Perry Park. Iconic uh, ground that one is. It made it three wins from three games to begin Aloisi's tenure as the raw boss, leading the side to their most convincing victory yet after seeing off the Newcastle Jets in the round of 32, then Sydney United 58 in the round of 16. Now, in signature Aloisi style, the raw showed incredible grit and Battle to battle back following uh, Antonson's opener and looked devastating on the counter-attack. Brisbane outshot the Wanderers 17-9 with eight of those going on target compared to three. Now, for a club that seems to have been under constant, the constant source of scuttlebutt and uncertainty under the Backery Group owners, which uh, haunted his brother's tenure and ended the, well, not the Backery Group, but that ownership uh, uh, uncertainty ended the Postacoglu era over 10 years ago. We're asking the question, is this the long-awaited rebirth of a club that, when they are firing, is one of the most exciting in the A-League? We'll watch this space. Okay, we're going to carry on because we, we don't have a lot of time to get through to our hot topics, and we have got all of those. So, so why don't you lead us off, Derek? My uh, hot topic is American club ownership. Uh, this comes after... Everton announced the takeover by new American owners, 777 partners. Um, that now means that half the Premier League uh, clubs will be owned by US entities. Um, are, can you name them all? Did anyone just name them all? Half the clubs, um, well, obviously Liverpool is one of them. Um, yeah. Manchester United is another, um, going from the top, working our way down. Um, Ed, do you want to contribute any? I've taken the, the sort of low-hanging fruit there. Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah. Um, mm. me, if, in the interest of speeding up the segment, do you want me just to finish it off? Yeah, I think, I, I think you're better. So, uh, Spurs, listeners are screaming Spurs, at the radio. Spurs, obviously. Uh, Chelsea, obviously. Uh, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Fulham, Burnley and Bournemouth make up the make up the uh, the 10. Um, but yes, with Everton coming in, uh, that means Farhad Mashiri is selling his 94% stake to uh, to the Americans. Um, it's going to be subject to some scrutiny by the Premier League. There are apparently some 
questions asked about some of the sports investments that they've made, including British um, basketball. Um, but the reason I bring this up firstly is because, um, you know, I, I often go, you know, stick the boot into, you know, uh, state ownership or Middle Eastern ownership, petro ownership, um, and we need to have balance. And obviously 10 is a remarkable number for, for ownership. So in terms of soft power and control, the Americans certainly are the dominant force uh, in the Premier in the Premier League. Um, I wonder what the legacy of um, Mashiri um, is. You know, he spent an awful lot of money uh, at this club. I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of the former Arsenal shareholder, Usmanov, and his role in it, he, of course, has scuttled away into the undergrowth after the um, the Russian uh, invasion of, of Ukraine, and we're not quite sure where he is. But there is this question of whether 777 um, are a fit and proper club to, to run Everton. There's going to be conflict of interest, potentially, if they do get Everton up and about because they own teams in Belgium, Standard Liège, Hertha Berlin, in uh, Germany, Sevilla. They've got a stake in that. So will they, if Everton make European competition, will Everton be able to play against some of these teams? And then ultimately, uh, what kind of owner are they going to get? Are they going to get the chopping trolley dash of Chelsea? Are they going to get the slow uh, debt um, fueled decline of Manchester United? Or are they going to get the kind of steady stoic progression of the likes of Arsenal, Liverpool uh, and yes, Spurs? Um, so like, interesting times for Everton with a, a new uh, stadium on the go, the bottom of the league, near the bottom of the league. Uh, they've apparently breached financial fair play rules. That'll have to be cleaned up as well. So, God, a lot going on at Everton. But yeah, US fans, guys, US owners, guys, they love a bit of the Premier League. Itch, uh, bring us home. Your hot topic. I've got a, a very, very uh, quick one um, before uh, before we wrap up. But you go first, mate. Uh, grumpy English Premier League club fans, and there's a few of them. Manchester United. Uh, Ten Hag, they're not happy with him. They gave him a bit of a gobful as he walked off the field after Brighton got a hold of them. Um, and is Ten Hag the glow? I, I think the, the gloss is well and truly finished on Ten Hag. And um, I'm just wondering what sort of runway he has now. Um, if they continue to throw up um, some pretty horrible losses, I just wonder, I just wonder what might happen and the other grumpy fans that are going around are Chelsea fans um, they've um, had a pretty horrible goal drought in the start of their competition and, and they for two weeks running have given their players uh, well and truly a burst uh, if they've been leaving the field a big big resounding boo um, for the second game in a row in just in just their fifth match of the season Chelsea booed off at the end of their 0-0 draw nil-nil draw with Bournemouth on Sunday. Uh, there's a lot of malcontent in that club and the Chelsea fans are restless. And I'll tell you what, for a team that's up in the top five, um, there's one other club that fans are just on the verge of being grumpy. And that is uh, the fans of Arsenal. They are really wanting Mikel Arteta to say, what are you doing with the goalkeeping? What is going on with the goalkeeping? He's now saying that he's going to rotate the two goalkeepers not pick them on form, rotate them. Derek, what on earth's going on there? Well, I can I can't think of a certainly an Arsenal successful Premier League winning side that rotated their goalkeepers. They stuck with one goalkeeper throughout the whole season. And when you think of Edison, Allison for Liverpool, 
um, Peter Schmeichel, whoever you name it, uh, great teams are based around one goalkeeper who uh, builds their confidence with the uh, with the defence, builds that bond. And I do wonder whether Arsenal have kind of made a rod for their own back here. That The inside story is that Raya is very, very close to Arsenal's goalkeeping coach and was very keen to come in and work with that goalkeeping coach. And I just wonder whether sentiment has gone in the way of um, a smart strategy. Arsenal did need a backup goalkeeper. We've had some pretty wretched ones with Matt Turner from the US. There was an Icelandic guy who didn't last very long. So Arsenal need to, needed to solve that problem. But whether with another number one goalkeeper, I, d- I don't know. Um, so yeah, look, it'll be interesting. I personally would still have Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Um, Raya didn't have a lot to do against Everton, so it's very hard to tell uh, whether or not he, he earned to keep the jersey. And it will be very interesting to see who will start against PSV uh, during the week. I just want to give you a quote from Arteta. I'm a really young manager. I've only been in the job three and a half years. I have few regrets. One of them is that on two occasions I felt after 60 minutes and after 85 minutes in two games in this period to change the keeper and I didn't do it. I didn't have the courage to do it. I was so unhappy. Tell me why. Why not do it? Why not? We've got all the qualities in two goalkeepers. Let's give them both a go. I mean, is this under 15s? Michael, this is called stoppage time, not the uh, sort of stoppage time plus another 90 minutes. And you've already had enough time on Arsenal. You're both turned this into the Arsenal show. Um, it out, Rob. Give us your... Give us your uh... Oh, I get stuffed. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to take about 30 seconds to mention my hot topic because all I'll just say is read the Sydney Morning Herald, read Vince Regari's article on Australian football being duly acknowledged. I mentioned this in the main show. Vince sets it out beautifully. I was going to summarise it, but I've been, been I've been taken over by the Arsenal uh, steam train that is, that is Michael and Derek here. But no, I, I won't because I did talk about it this in the top shows. So, so you know, let's just say it's usually Sam Kerr that picks up all the big awards, but when you see the likes of Hayley Brasso and uh, Caitlin Ford and uh, uh, and and all the, the other names that, that were mentioned, whether it's Ange Postacoglu or, or Tony Gustafsson, even uh, Mackenzie Arnold uh, in, in the uh, the FIFA awards, uh, it's, it's good things for Australian football. All right, gentlemen, let's wrap it up. Derek, thank you. One more week before you fly out. Uh, yes, you're know, looking forward to my last box to box for a little while, and then I'll be our live, sorry, again, more Arsenal, live Arsenal <laughs> reporter on the ground at the Emirates Stadium, giving you the lowdown on a sensational match, let's hope. Thank you, Derek. Michael, you have a good week. Thank you, Roberto. All right, please subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us, X us at box to box nts and follow us on X, like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.